Pitch Hat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies. Interactive Brokers also charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%. They've also got the ability to trade stocks, bonds, futures, options, commodities, and more, all from a single unified platform. Brett and I use Interactive Brokers ourselves, and I honestly have to say that if you spend a considerable amount of time managing your investments, if you're spanning the globe looking for new stocks, I highly recommend using Interactive Brokers as your platform of choice. Restrictions apply, but for more information, visit ibkr.com, member SIPC, open an account with IBKR today. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome into Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Henderson, Today is our Tuesday not-so-deep-dive episode where we analyze one stock covering its business model, financials, ownership, future growth opportunities, and much more. After listening to this episode, we hope you get a better perspective on the company we are covering today. And I think we have a fantastic one to close out 2023, and that is Hermes International. I think after listening to this, and maybe Ryan will disagree with me, but we'll see what happens. You can probably understand why this is one of the best businesses in the world that consistently trades at 40 times earnings. Now, before we get into things, I have a few housekeeping items. One, for the last power hour of the year, we are doing our first ever Ask Us Anything show. And the way to ask questions, at least to get to the top of the list, is to give us a review on Apple Podcast and then put your question in the review there. It is very easy, takes you about a minute, especially if you already listened to the show on Apple Podcasts, and it is the best way to help us grow our listenership base. Second, uh, subscribe to the free email newsletter in our show notes to get the notes, graphics, charts that go along with the episode we're doing today. Third, now we have a lot because we're going right around to the new year. We have a special New Year's show which is going to have our 2024 plan and changes we're making for the podcast. So definitely want to tune into that one. I should say as a teaser, um, there's going to be some fun changes, I think, that we're excited about. And then we're also going to be doing probably 2024 predictions, something along those lines. We haven't finalized what the format's going to be, but we'll try to make it fun, interactive, and enjoyable for any listeners. And then lastly... As we've started to say on every episode, if you enjoy the show, share it with someone you think will enjoy listening as well. Okay, Ryan, anything else to add before getting into Hermes International for any of our European listeners? I hope I'm saying that correctly, but do not be insulted by our American, especially West Coast accents uh, talking about this thing. Yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, last week, we looked at Ferrari Two weeks ago, we looked at Moet Hennessy Louis Vuitton. 
think I'm saying that right. Uh, LVMH. And this week we're looking at Hermes. And I think it's kind of an interesting way to go about it because Hermes, in my view, kind of sits right in between LVMH and Ferrari, where it's the, the, the purposeful limited supply of Ferrari with the actual kind of product type of Louis Vuitton for the most part. So I don't know, just kind of kind of a combination of the two. But for general purposes, for anyone who doesn't know Hermes, Hermes is a designer and manufacturer of really a variety of luxury products, primarily bags. That is probably what they're best known for. And it's the largest revenue driver for their business. So they've got a number of products. The biggest one is what they call leather goods and saddlery, like think saddles. And this segment's 43% of their revenue. It's primarily men's and women's handbags, also travel bags, but there are also like horse saddles, other equestrian products. That's kind of where they got their start, but really the business is driven by driven by uh, handbags today. So the big ones here, the ones I think most people think of when they think of the Hermes brand is the Birkin bag or the Kelly bag. I looked this up and a new Birkin bag can cost anywhere between $10,000 and $2 million. This is now for Brett and I, I gotta be honest, I don't think we would recognize one before having done this research. If I just saw someone carrying a bag, I don't think I would have been able to say, oh, that's a Birkin bag. But these are apparently like iconic. Obviously, they're quite expensive. So it's it's kind of this if you know, you know thing where people it's social signaling and kind of a status symbol but it's also so sort of prestigious that not everyone would recognize it so it's kind of just interesting but very expensive bags they are hand finished it's not like louis vuitton where they are in some sense mass produced these are all hand finished goods they have um artisans uh, i believe it was around I'm I'm going to mistake the number, so I'm not going to say it, but they have a number of artisans and handcrafting employees that are designed for these roles specifically. And this is an important part of the business model. Typically, these bags hold and even increase their value. So the resale value of these bags tends to be pretty high. So that also allows them, if you're Hermes, to push the price considerably because part this is kind of an interesting model or an interesting point of Hermes's model in general that if the bag is more expensive, it's even more of a status symbol. If it's, and also it holds its resale value. So it's almost like, like when someone carries around a Birkin bag, it's not because they think it is so superior functionally to a, to a typical handbag. It's because they want to, frankly, flaunt their wealth. So the more expensive the bag, uh, the, the more uh, wealth they're flaunting. So I just think it's kind of a unique unique model there and allows to Hermes to really push the prices up on their Birkin bags and Kelly bags. Other parts of the business, they've got ready to wear. Basically, this is just clothes, very expensive clothes for both men and women. I was looking at it. It's like I saw a very- belts. A very normal looking hoodie for $1,800. Just- I, I, Yeah, I look- I, I will love it. wish to disclose now that this style of consumerism makes absolutely zero sense to Brett or I, but uh, to, to, to their respective customers, they love it. And it's, it's 
like I said, about the this, story. Yeah. This is the heritage yeah. with France. Everything's made in France. Everything's handmade. And then you have the exclusivity of the availability, which I think all three of those are what make them very similar to Ferrari, even though the products are more similar to Louis Vuitton and Chanel, all those other ones. Yeah. So leather goods, basically think bags, biggest revenue driver for them. Second biggest revenue driver, clothes, the ready to wear brand category that that, that's what they call it. And then basically everything below that is fairly equal in terms of revenue share. So they've got jewelry, they've got silk scarves are actually pretty big for them. Perfume, colognes, watches. I think there's some other stuff as well. The colognes really aren't, I was looking at I mean, it's expensive, but it's not Hermes Birkenbag style expensive. It's $100 for a bottle of cologne. Those are meant to be sort of introductory products to the brand. So it's meant to get people to whatever, uh, kind of love the Hermes brand, feel like they're a part of it, and then hopefully trade up over time. I think the biggest difference to call out here between Hermes and Louis Vuitton is that, or maybe LVMH, Hermes is a single brand. It's not a house of brands. The perfume, the bags, the saddles, the watches, they are all Hermes branded. So unlike Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, LVMH, where it's, I want to say like almost a hundred different companies now, this is all under the Hermes house and they don't really do any acquisitions. I looked through and I, I think there's basically been three acquisitions in their history, two or three, where it was buying out like a niche supplier. Maybe it was meant to... Maybe they valued that supplier. They used them a lot and, and they were going out of business. I don't know, but it was really not, not meaningful to the investment whatsoever. And so really just a single unified brand. Last thing I'll mention though, and this is maybe important when we're looking into the future for Hermes, there isn't really an online presence. Like you can buy some stuff online, but when we think about the high end stuff, Birkin bags, Kelly bags, I think there's some other stuff as well. They really want that tra that transaction to be done in their stores. Th their stores are part of the buying experience. They have 300 locations around the globe, and each location is like this, you know, very extravagant looking building. It's a flex to walk in there. And so they want customers coming in and then hopefully probably cross-selling other stuff as well while they're in the store. So I think you can customize orders online but you can't actually buy a Birkin bag through the Hermes or Hermes website. So yeah. One thing to add on the dis or distribution there. Sorry. I'll, after you finish, after you finish. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say on the distribution, the online store is similar to their legacy retail distribution where they're not going to sell on a third party. Um, and you're not going to be able to just buy, pick up and buy their most expensive products, their most sought after stuff, similar to Ferrari but you will be able to get introduced to the brand and it's almost like a marketing play. It's almost like the shopping experience on the online store is almost a browsing experience. Oh, that looks super nice. Ooh, okay. I can uh, maybe afford that one. It's they want to control that distribution as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I think that's a key point as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you think about shopping at Hermes, you're not buying these things I don't think most people are buying these things on a regular basis. So 
making them come out to the store and, and go through that experience. I don't think that's asking too much. And pr- frankly, people probably love that. Uh, they, they probably like enjoy going to the store. But let's talk through the history here. I think that touches generally on the business model. I'll also say that Hermes is quite discreet. They are not, unlike Louis Vuitton, where I think LVMH has been pretty public about their aspirations and uh, Bernard Arnault has done a ton of public interviews. Hermes can tends to keep things close to the vest, and they had 588 pages in their annual report, which was an absolute slug. And I gotta say, they gotta condense that. They, I mean, I do not Body know why they're wasting stuff. their time. Yeah, I don't know. No anyway. one's that. I don't think there's not a single person on this planet that has read that entire thing. I bet the people that put it together don't even read it all. I bet they just stitch it together based on different departments. Anyway, okay. Let's go through the history. As with basically all of the luxury companies we've spoken about this month, Hermes was founded by a passionate artisan who built a high quality product. That's where, you know, today we talk about the heritage and yeah, it's still a high quality product, but a lot of it is just the brand. Like with Louis Vuitton, a lot of it's just the brand recognition and the pricing power comes from the fact that it's such a status symbol. Ferrari, I mean, they're, they're still quite good engineering feats, but back in the day, a lot of the reason that it, it attracts value or attracts high-end buyers is because of that quality. And so the same thing happened here with, in Hermes's case, they were founded in 1837 by Thierry Hermes. He established a harness workshop in Paris. This was initially designed for European noblemen um, and basically they stuck with the harness business for i'd say almost 40 or 50 years and thierry hermes's son took over the business and they started shifting to saddles for wealthy people it was internationally but mostly done in europe and then it's been literally the exact same formula i want to say for the last 150 years they passed the business down from generation to generation of the hermes family and they've done a pretty good job, actually a fantastic job stewarding this business. They introduce new products all under the Hermes brand, and they continue to increase prices slowly. The, the only other big moments that I would call out is the Birkin bag was introduced in 1984. I think they started getting into bags around the late 1800s, kind of turn of the century. The Kelly bag was it was renamed the Kelly bag. It was already a bag that was in their production line, but or not production line, but something they were selling. It was renamed the Kelly bag after Grace Kelly. And then those bags really took off because celebrities would wear them. And at a time when there's so much media coverage over celebrities, it really drew attention to those bags. I guess other parts that are important here, Bernard Arnault, try to take an activist stake in Hermes, I think around the 2000s. And it was kind of progressive. Like he had a 5% stake through some subsidiaries and then he started to try to push it. But he really couldn't get any sort of influence. He wasn't able to buy enough shares because the family is basically unwilling to sell. And we are now on the sixth generation of Hermes management. And the family has been able to hold a lot of their ownership and basically get paid, I believe, purely through dividends. So it's really important to understand that this is almost a family business still. 
because they are very long-term focused. There's kind of this famous story now where Hermes had a bag that was selling so well, they actually discontinued it because they were afraid that it would tarnish the brand, that it would become too mainstream. So they, they discontinued selling a really profitable bag uh, just to kind of nurture the brand. So it's, it's a very long-term focused management team. I know every company says their management their management team always says they're long-term, but if you think about it, the incentives are really well aligned here because they get paid on the dividends over the long run. They don't really seem to have any interest in selling. So I'll leave it at that. You want to talk through the uh, industry and competition. Okay. We want to take another pause today to talk about our friends, Interactive Brokers, otherwise known as IBKR. We love Interactive Brokers. Ryan and I, both use interactive brokers on a regular basis for our investment accounts. And the reason we love them is because they have the breadth of asset classes and geographical diversification. You can invest in options, bonds, stocks, and in all sorts of markets that you can't find anywhere else, whether it's the Nordics, where we like to research, or down in Latin America, where we also like to research, or in East Asia. You can find stocks that are listed in all these local exchanges and you can buy them on IBKR, plus so many other features that we've talked about before. If you want to check out IBKR, make sure to go to IBKR.com, member SIPC. If you are a professional investor, if you like doing a lot of research, such as ourselves, which if you listen to our podcast, I think you do, you're going to want to check out IBKR and open and switch your accounts over there today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, and... I will say as a little tidbit, uh, it is reported and it's a little bit confusing and they're a bit secretive, but it's reported that there are over 100 family members within this kind of structural organization that owns the company and it's worth, their stake is worth over $100 billion now. So quite wealthy and long-term oriented indeed. Let's go industry and competition. I think there's three important points here, industry size along with the growth and then geographical distribution and competition. First, the luxury handbag market estimated to be about $23 billion and has consistently grown for many years. It's projected to grow at about 6% as you know, probably just through pricing power from the same amount of customers worldwide with a little bit more unit volumes um, throughout the rest of this decade. And then at about half of you know, Hermes' revenue, this sector is going to drive the bus generally. Uh, the overall fashion luxury goods market is much, much larger, but Hermes is a smaller player here I mean, they sell a good amount, as Ryan mentioned earlier, 23% of the business of ready-to-wear accessories and clothing items, belts, shirts, whatever, but not nearly as much as other brands, which is on purpose. Do you believe that this is a smart move for them to retain the quality, basically their moat, their brand moat over the long term? Because I, I think it's probably quite smart. Yeah, 100%. I mean... Yeah. It's with with Louis Vuitton. I mean, they are at this point like everyone knows they're expensive, but they are they feel accessible. With Hermes, it's like 
a different tier. I mean, it, I mean, it's literally a different pricing tier, but also it's like a next level status symbol. Yeah, and you don't want five people on a flight from New York to London to have, you know, a bunch of Hermes quality uh, Hermes stuff on that flight, and you might see some LV and Chanel stuff there. I think the Ferrari CEO kind of put it best, which is, he said, we could increase supply, but it doesn't make any sense. We would, what did he say? We would insult our clients. They have a lot of existing customers who spent up to kind of be a part of this wealth club, essentially. Or worked worked really hard over, you know, to build their own wealth. Yeah. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is increase supply so much that they feel devalued and they stop spending with you. Because I imagine a lot of the purchases come from existing customers. Yep, yep. And it's a good point as we try to compare. I, I think listeners should think about that as we compare Hermes to LVMH maybe, or just specifically Louis Vuitton and Chanel and stuff like that as we go through the competition. But first I want to hit geography. They have heavy exposure to East Asia. I'll have a graphic in the newsletter on this that shows us pretty easily. 59% of sales are in Asia and then 10% of those, like 10% of sales are in Japan. So we have about 50% from Asia that's non-Japan. And I think a large chunk of that is going to be China, which is important for investors to consider. And then the Americas are much less important for them or maybe a growth opportunity. I don't know. You know, there's one in the Seattle area where we live in an area that basically triangulates Google, Microsoft, and Amazon's campuses. So maybe there's a lot of potential there, but that's only 18% of the business. And that includes not just the United States. So they have more exposure to Europe and uh, Asia than I think the other companies we've looked at. Importantly, though, just like LV there is likely even more exposure from a nationality perspective to Asia because who is buying the bags in Europe? A lot of tourists from America, the Middle East, and Asia. So there's a lot of exposure to this market. It's the most important market to them, not just geographically, but also the people visiting other areas. Think of um, the famous, not famous, the amount of Japanese tourists that visit Hawaii, right? That's an important one as well. Stuff like that. Now, if we look at competition, uh, you know, people I think are generally aware of at least some of these, but there's Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Dior, Gucci, plenty of other ones. But I think the question, I, I think we maybe already answered this, but to hit on it again, do we think that Hermes has transcended the competition similar to Ferrari and doesn't actually have much of a competitive set anymore? Yeah, I think it, it is similar to Ferrari and I can't remember if it was Sleepwell Capital or Leandro who said it, but uh, just because you have a high price doesn't make you luxury. It doesn't make you a luxury brand. People could try to outprice them, and, and brands have. They've tried to be more expensive. They tried to be slightly less expensive with the same quality, and it just they they don't make any headway against Hermes because. A lot of the value comes from the heritage and the brand recognition among wealthy people and and really the world at large because it's like we said it's a status symbol so yep and then to answer your question no i don't think they compete with most handbag manufacturers yeah okay and then 
The last note I'd say is they have about 300 stores worldwide. It's an important KPI to track as they try to enter a space. This is the most important distribution point for them. So, for example, I remember reading one of the older conference calls to get some more context on what their long-term plans were back then. And they were talking about launching something in Brazil and stuff like that. And some of these markets might be smaller, but it's the most important point for them. And they'll talk about renovating, you know, introducing new ones. I believe they just put one in Aspen in that ski resort area. So stuff like that. That's going to be the key way they grow. But let's move to management ownership. Key takeaway, most important thing is the family dynasty controls this business. There are a lot of complications, structure, strange things they have done. But, you know, there's all this stuff you can read in the 500 page annual report. And if they wanted to hide something in there, Fine. That's they hit it for me. I'm not reading that. But at the end of the day, the family controls what is going to happen with Hermes going forward. The current CEO, who they call, they love calling things not actually what they are doing, which is quite hilarious. I think they're very particular. They call they have two executive chairmen. Who's really there's one that's the CEO, and they call it something else. But his name is Axel Dumas, the great grandson of Emile. Hermes, he has been leading this business since 2013. He's been there for quite a long time, seems to have done a fantastic job. It basically says the same thing every conference call. Uh, in 2022, Dumas was paid 2.2 million euros in fixed compensation and 3.6 million euros in variable compensation. Very efficient here for a company of this size. And I think an advantage of getting run by a luxury dynasty because he doesn't need to get paid a lot. And I think it's a good sign that they actually care about you know, they're shareholders, which are a stakeholder in this business. Uh, I have some quotes in the newsletter. They have uh, varying rules on executive compensation. One, they, and I believe it is very hard to find, but I think I understand it correctly, where since the IPO in 1993, compensation from a variable perspective for executives is capped at 0.2% of consolidated net income in the previous year. I like that a lot. It's quite it makes sense, you know, it's good incentives and it's not paying your management team too much. And then I have some other varying quotes about how they don't like partnerships. You know, the Apple Watch thing has been, a, I guess, a notorious exception. They give a lot of shares out to their employees worldwide, which I think is also a good thing. You know, the, the people hand making the stuff in France, um, they talk about not having a marketing division, but a quote, communications division. I thought it was funny on the conference call, the executive said that the analysts hurt his feelings <laughs> by saying they have a marketing team. And then they also have, um, let's see, what was, oh yeah, they're talking about the internet. They said, quote, and this is back in 2017. Uh, in other words, we're trying to have the best possible platform on the internet and we're trying to build it. It's not, we do not want to be too fast because we don't want to lose control of our products. So that's the thing. They want control at every step. And that philosophy hasn't changed for a long time. There is not now not just doing it in Paris, but in every major city around the world. All right, let's hit the financials quick. Ryan, important takeaways from the numbers here that any listener should know about. Yeah. And let me just say, I love that part of the compensation where it's capped at 0.2% of consolidated consolidated net income because for one, as a shareholder, it limits how much of your earnings uh, an executive can grab, but also it incentivizes them to raise the net income. 
because if they're raising the earnings of the business, their cap is potentially higher. And I don't think they really manage for that, but you know, uh, at least if they did, uh, their incentive would be in the right place. When we look at the financials, earnings, let's go through some of the numbers, 13 billion euros in revenue over the last 12 months. It's growing 25% year over year, actually coming out of COVID, they've been growing really quickly. have had an accelerated pace relative to their history. So I I don't know if I'd say whether they're over earning or not, but I wouldn't expect them to keep up the current growth rate. Probably going to be more in line with their historical average. Part yeah. of this is definitely the growth, um, excuse me, the reopening of China. Right. And here's what kind of blows my mind. And I heard someone else talking about this as well, but if I just read the unit economics to you, I don't think I would ever be able to guess what kind of a business this is. 71% gross margins, 42% operating margin. That is, I mean, that's insane for a retailer. I'm pretty sure I've never seen anything that high um, for a retailing business. Uh, uh, smokeless tobacco products. True. Actually, yes, that is true. Um there, the free cash flow margin lags a little bit. We talked about this with LVMH, where inventories grow in line with the business, and it, it kind of leads to a cash flow lag. But still, inventories aren't really that; they don't keep that much inventory on the balance sheet. I mean, it's two billion dollars in inventory on the balance sheet, from what I saw. They have nine billion dollars in cash and no corporate debt. I don't know if you took a look at that, unless I'm missing anything. It's a very clean balance sheet. And frankly, it seemed a little weird that they're just kind of storing the cash in their balance sheet, but they do pay out a lot in dividends. So maybe it's just to kind of make sure they can continue to pay that out. Yeah. So I read from our friend that Ryan mentioned, we had the combo discussion on to do an overview of these, this entire industry, which again, if you haven't listened to, highly recommend you go do it. It's Leandro from Best Anchor Stocks. He wrote a little quick blurb, not too quick, but not extremely long on Hermes uh, on his public Substack. This is not for his paid thing, so it's free for anyone to view. And he talked about how their philosophy is very similar to, well, I don't know if he made this direct comparison, but it's similar to Berkshire Hathaway, where they're going to be typically more conservative than they need to be. So for example, people always talk about how Berkshire Hathaway can run with more leverage, could run with way less net cash. Hermes, people talk about that all the time as well. The analysts are like, hey, look, your business is super durable. Why don't you put two times leverage here and buy back some shares? They don't really care about that. They want to be the most, oh, and another example here would be Nintendo, where they're not worried about optimizing shareholder returns over a three, four, five-year period. They're worried about business durability over a multi-decade period, which I think the takeaway for myself is you can't have a different understanding as an investor. You're just going to get frustrated if you hope they're going to change this, which is most likely they're they're not going to be. Yeah. And going, just going back to some of the numbers to kind of put context around growth of the business over the last two decades. So over the last 20 years, revenue has grown at 12% a year pretty astounding. And now part of that's being pulled up by the recent growth, but still it's probably 10% plus, even if they weren't growing the last two years. Earnings before taxes has slightly outpaced it at 14.5% annually. And it's been fairly steady. There was a slight 
hiccup uh, just looking at the numbers right here between kind of 2013, 2014, but they grew pretty much all throughout the great financial crisis. And I guess it's kind of a testament to the business, fairly recession proof. They've gone from a billion in revenue to 14 billion in revenue in the last 12, last 20 years. So it's, I think at any point, I probably would have looked at Hermes and said, how much more can they grow? Just because it feels like it's saturated in terms of the amount of wealthy people. But for one, number of wealthy people continues to grow. And two, they have basically uh, this baked in pricing power every year. Yeah, it has been not a bad business whatsoever. All right, earnings multiple. Market cap, 205 billion euros. So this is one of the largest companies, not only in Europe, but the entire world. Subtract out some of the net cash. Let's just say roughly on any given trading day, they're at a 200 billion, excuse me, 200 billion euro market cap. And then over the last 12 months, operating income using Ryan's two numbers there is about 5.46 billion euros. Taxes will obviously bring this down. So the true earnings multiple is going to be slightly higher than this, but I just wanted to even it out because sometimes taxes get a little funky from year to year. The enterprise value to operating income is 36.6. So not too much, you know, them and Ferrari, they're very similar, I think, uh, getting viewed from uh, public market investors. Okay. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Anecdotal evidence, Ryan, talked a little bit about this already. Clearly, value investor types were not the ones buying these things, but I don't know. Thoughts here? Yeah. Going to the Hermes website just makes me think how absolutely insane it is that anyone is paying for this. But there are people out there that do. And hey, they have a hell of a brand. So kudos to them. I don't know if I've really ever, maybe I've seen some in person, but I don't think I've noticed. And maybe I'm not really the people they're trying to appeal to, but when you say Hermes, when anyone brings it up, I think even if you don't know, you think luxury just because yeah, there's the kind of that iconic age. Yeah. There's that a little bit. And what's weird is I knew what it was without caring about before this month, like I knew what it was without caring about the products at all, which is kind of weird how they're they're good with their quote unquote, not marketing, but communications. And for me, I would say, you know, Hermes, as Ryan mentioned, is subtle. These other ones like Louis Vuitton especially are flashy. And I think it makes a big difference in preserving brand quality over the long term because 
every time you go to an airport, you are going to see someone, a big one. You're going to see someone with an LV bag of some sort. You're probably going to see some sort of maybe Chanel bag or some of these other ones. And honestly, I can't remember seeing it, ever seeing an Hermes bag. Like you mentioned, it's more of a you know, you know type of thing. But I think those ones are not really at the <laughs> the commercial flights. They might be flying private. All right. Yeah. Future growth opportunities. Anything else there, Ryan? And then move on to yours. No, it, there's no future growth opportunity that's unique here at all. And I know I feel like I've been getting lazy with this, but they have been doing the same thing for since 1837. So I think it's unlikely that there's going to be any big shift. It's not like LVMH where there might be a new acquisition or maybe they dispose of some business. Hermes, they're just going to keep launching new products that they feel like fits in their portfolio. And I just say, keep with it. And then add some, some slow, subtle volume increases over the years and continue to raise prices. That is a recipe for revenue growth and margin expansion. Yep. And I think with the luxury ones, the whole point is that there's not very many future growth opportunities except for sticking to what you're doing. I mean, in fact, I think like you got to stick with the heritage. You got to keep it as an exclusive club. You know, you got to have it. So people that want to spend $10,000 to join the club, quote unquote, and then in 20 years, 25 years, the introductory price will probably twenty be $20,000 to join. And the, you know, if, they, if management starts talking efficiencies, I'd say, watch out. Ryan, some dad. Yeah, I mean, if they started doing something new, it would be concerning, especially for Hermes, where it's like the, the simplicity is what's made the investment so attractive that they're able to grow at will without acquiring any companies and basically just all organic initiatives that they do. I mean, it's so simple, but it's perfect for them. And and I would be concerned if they started to try to drive growth some other way. Yeah. And the funny thing is earnings would probably double pretty quickly, but it would actually be a terrible sign. Uh, But I'd say more an actual future growth opportunity I have. I think investors should consider thinking about whether this company is over earning and there's a lot of variables, but the emergence of you know the Chinese, Korean, and Japanese tourists around the world this year and in 2024 definitely will help them. Remember, these markets were much more strict and careful about the pandemic in general compared to some of the Western areas. So they were, I mean, really didn't reopen. I mean, we talked about with those airline companies. I think that was a big eye-opener. The Japanese tourist has not gone outbound as much as possible. They're still on a recovery trajectory, whereas the United States is almost in a back-to-normal state in 2023. And then conversely, you know, a headwind would be a more closed-off China, which I think we'll talk about in the low lights here. But Ryan, let's go through what we like and dislike about this business. Pretty simple. Uh, I think it's even more simple than Ferrari because Ferrari has some of that innovation, R&D, and then the the transition to electric vehicles. But this one is much, much more elegant. Yeah, I think some of the highlights for me is it's the ultimate signal of wealth, buying one of these bags. And people signaling their wealth has been a trend since forever (laughs) i don't think it'll ever end so i think it's a trend that'll continue to propel them to to grow revenue the economics are really 
strong. I mean, 70% plus gross margins, 40% operating margins. And I think I would not be surprised if they could, if they were generating 50% operating margins in 10 years. It feels like they can steadily grow that over time because they can just incrementally raise prices above their cost to fulfill orders, which is pretty much just the artisans. And it feels like that's what they've done for the last decade. I would not be surprised if they continue to do so. They've had success introducing new product lines. I think that's big. If they were just a bags business or just saddles, I mean, they still have done quite well. But the fact that they've been able to roll out new products with the Hermes brand and see so much success, I think, points to potentially faster revenue growth. The culture of creativity. Now, like we don't really get this stuff. It's not our foray. But it's been it's obviously been incredibly strong. The culture of creativity, I think, is also a, not as big. You know, it's part of the advantage here, I guess. Uh, last thing, it's just uh, along with the other luxury companies we looked at, the brand is very hard to replicate because of the heritage. And we talked about it. I mean, there's been some competitors that have tried to outprice them, but high prices do not make you a luxury brand. It's it's the heritage and the image that you give to customers and Hermes certainly possesses that. So highlights across the board, really strong business. I mean, frankly, it's certainly one of the best businesses I've looked at. I mean, the whole luxury theme we've been doing, they're all incredible businesses, but this feels very hard to disrupt. Low lights for me, there aren't, I don't have a lot of flaws related to the actual operations of the brand or anything like that. They do generate a lot of revenue from China. We were talking about it before the show. I guess a quarter of their sales come from China, but it's hard to know because they don't break it out explicitly. But obviously, if anything were to happen there, and it kind of people's opinions around China seems to ebb and flow, but we hear news all the time about events going on over there that might uh, close China yeah, off uh, from the global uh, economy. Apparently, at the two leaders' meetings with the United States, Xi Jinping told Biden that they're going to take back Taiwan, like in his own words. So it's like, look, that that stuff could get sticky. Yeah, and it just might end up closing them off from the global economy. So if you're Hermes, I mean, that's potentially a quarter of your sales gone. I mean, that's a huge hit to the investment here. The other thing is that's probably been a huge growth vector for them as well is the increase in wealthy people in China, especially over the last two decades. So if that starts to slow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if I mean, if that starts to slow, maybe you begin to see kind of revenue growth taper off a bit. But sure. the only other thing is th- there was some news that came out this week that one of the heirs to the Hermes fortune is like thinking about gifting his inheritance to his gardener. So I don't know. I also saw that maybe that's not fake, but like misleading. So I'll leave it at this. If there's some sort of a feud between the sixth generation of Hermes family, like that's a recipe for disaster. You know, you could certainly see, some sort of a demise and potentially the brand or 
have this end up being sold off to someone else, which maybe that's good. You know, maybe Bernard Arnault steps back in. Yeah, maybe it just all rolls to LVM Mitchell, though. That would be crazy if they actually acquired them. I don't think they would be allowed to do that, but it seems like the European Union just focuses on regulating the United States tech market. And that seems to be what their entire <laughs> focus is. But here's a quote from a Bloomberg article about the family and the uh, just about them in general. It says, once vulnerable to predators as complacent family members got involved in other endeavors, Hermes's success has provided the group its best defense. Now, they talk about how right now things are running smoothly. Dumas seems to be quite good, really strong, reasonable, rational person. But this type of stuff could happen again. I mean, we've all watched Succession. Like That's not. Obviously, it was a bit of a caricature of this type of stuff. But that type of thing could uh, ruin things here. I think I have similar highlights. I would reiterate the elusive club feel as similar to Ferrari, where you join the club that owns these bags and then you can be a reseller down the line. They earn value, they retain their value or even grow in value if they're a collector's item over time. And they have different types each year. They have their like theme of the year where one of them was, I, I don't, I can't even remember. It was like the light, you know, our theme this year is light. And yeah, I don't know. It, they just change it up all the time and they're quite, I mean, they look good, honestly. Like they're they're great looking products, and that's probably because they have the handmade. But then I think the other important one to reiterate is the more disciplined nature on expanding their presence, because this is what retains the true luxury strategies I talked about with Ferrari. It's very similar. A billion people know about your brand, like uh, 10, 20 million can afford it, but only a certain amount can buy it every year. All right. Bull case, bear case, let's wrap things up, Ryan. You got the numbers here, so why don't you kind of go through what could happen uh, financially? Sure, and some of these are rough, so don't... It might be... Some of these numbers might be slightly off, but I think it paints a general picture of what the valuation looks like today. So over the last 20 years, Hermes has grown its revenue at a 12% compounded annual growth rate. Earnings before taxes have grown at 14.5%. So... I was trying to think through kind of the puts and takes in terms of what could drive growth. And I think for a bull case, just saying 14.5% earnings before taxes growth from here makes sense. Like just so a little bit of continuation of the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. I mean, that's especially following two years of 25% plus revenue growth. I think there's the chance that things kind of revert, but let's say that my 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 only input here is that earnings before taxes grows at fourteen well fifteen percent for the next five years, which I think is reasonable. If they do that, they'd be earning eleven billion euros in annual earnings before taxes. If we apply a twenty-five times multiple to that in year five, so the market values them at twenty-five times EBT which I think is right about their last 10 year average um, in, in terms of multiple, they would have a market cap of 275 billion euros. It's roughly 210 billion euros today. So you'd be looking at a 6% annual return. Minus including dividends add rather than the cash you get back. 
or the cash that they they retain over the years. Things could obviously go better than this, but hopefully that paints a picture. If if you get 15% earnings growth here, you're probably going to get 6 to 7% returns annually. So the market is expecting a continuation of what they've done over the last two decades for sure. Yeah, and I think I have similar stuff here where you're either having a very extended time horizon, I think, where you're betting on the durable uh, pricing power for over 10 more years and beyond, uh, you know, in the long term, multiple decades. And then you're also betting that the multiple stays high, I think, at these levels. Uh, Or excuse me, like if you buy at this price, you're betting that, you know, that earnings multiple, they keep getting valid at 35 times, 40 times earnings. All right, Ryan, what do you think could go wrong here? So, well, I I do think the business is quite bulletproof minus the China risk. So I don't have concerns about them being able to grow revenue by a solid amount, call it 10% plus, but obviously there's multiple compression risk and it feels like lately, I mean, if you just look at the multiples of the luxury companies since 2020, a lot of them have performed quite well, but it also feels like there's maybe been a like flight to safety among investors where these businesses have not been disrupted by COVID. They have been frankly resilient over the last 10 years, but specifically over the last three years and their multiples have expanded, which for me, I mean, kudos to the people that have been shareholders over this time, but that doesn't feel like a good entry point for me. So I think kind of the the big bear case here is that there's uh, that the multiple reverts to its historical average, which seems like a safe bet. And if that happens, you're probably getting about about treasury level returns right now. Yeah. As I said in my bear case, the brand is bulletproof, as you wrote there for yours. But that doesn't mean revenue growth is inevitable. I think that's getting priced in a little bit right now. They've had years where they don't grow that much. They're not afraid to be slow. So... Yeah, and then obviously there's the family stuff where families, they seem to be quite good, but there's always that risk. All right, let's wrap things up. More or less interested, Ryan. Uh, Yeah, I mean, wonderful business. I'm just not going to buy it at this price. I'd love to say I'm going to put this on my watch list, but I'll maybe revisit it if if it gets below 25 times earnings, maybe even below that. I mean, in the 2010 to 2013 period, it was below 25 times EBIT. So it's not- That's when revenue was stagnating, right? Yeah, it's not abnormal for that to happen to a good business like this. And maybe if you get a scenario like, I don't know, if something happens to, to the brand, if- there's some sort of terrible news where people start to think that it's it's affected the brand. Like I'm trying to trying to recall one that's that's relatable. Maybe Amex in the 60s. Because yeah. if I remember that correctly, there was like a whole bunch of concerns around the business from the management side, but there was 
everyone thought it was affecting the customers and it wasn't, maybe there's something that happens like that and Hermes gets cheap again, then I'd revisit it. But yeah, right now, I mean, this just great business, but it's not really my cup of tea. Yeah, it's not going to get optically cheap unless they make some mistakes and it's going to look like people, there's going to be some huge negative stuff if the earnings get cheap, specifically the geopolitical stuff or management mistakes. And I would note, you said 2013 there at the end of that time period, Dumas took over 2013. So I think he's part of the story here, the last decade. If something happens to China, the China business, especially for Hermes, I got a feeling that could potentially be a good entry point because this is a brand that's going to be, it's going to withstand the test of time, no doubt about it. And I could certainly see an overreaction there. On the flip side though, if that happens, I think a lot of businesses are going to sell off unsurprisingly because so much of supply chains are uh, located there, but whatever. Yeah. Well, good thing for them is they sell there, but all the stuff is purposefully made in an expensive fashion in, in France. Okay. let's. I, I'm more interested, clearly. I think it's very similar to Ferrari. Now, I would put, and I'll put you on the spot here, I would put Ferrari and Hermes as two of the best businesses in the world if I'm going to revise my list. Who goes up there for you? I would put Visa and MasterCard there. Anything else come to mind as the business quality of and maybe the ratings agencies, although we don't know them very well. But for you, Ryan, anything else come to mind as being in that same stratosphere of business quality? Yeah, I came across a couple companies going through like this wide moat list recently there's this australian toll road business that seems quite good uh no no that regulators can get rid come on come on go on okay. <laughs> it's not doing uh, i think costco's up there for me costco yeah, yeah good one good one some of these ones with just like ultimate scale economies you could maybe even throw home depot in there just if you kind of have to X out the cyclicality of the housing space. But I, th I think there are some retailers that fit in there, like Home Depot and Costco. But yeah, Ferrari is there tell for us, sure. Some people would tell us Apple, but I think it's a touch lower. Potentially. Amazon, for, Amazon would be up there for me. Yeah. The logistics advantage, uh, you know. It's quite good. Okay. Well, that was a fun exercise. And for anyone, we're going to do a special show to start the next year for the New Year's predictions. We, A lot of people do predictions. We're going to probably do something more catered to our show. So focused on like ranking some sort of stock thing or whatever, or like making like a fake long short portfolio. These are just coming to mind right now. We're probably not going to actually do that, but we're going to try to do it, make it fun. Not just the boring, hey, we think the AI bubble is going to continue. Okay. Before we close out, we just finished our luxury month. Three companies we did were LVMH, Ferrari, and Hermes. If you had to rank them in terms of investment returns from here, who do you think is going to do the best? Who do you think would do the worst? What time horizon? Five years? Five, five years. LVMH, five years. That's fair. Cheaper, cheaper earnings, uh, multiple. I think people value Hermes and Ferrari at the higher multiple because they understand the durability over a 20 to 30 year period. And it's almost impenetrable. I also think with Ferrari and Hermes, it kind of feels like they have a shareholder base who 
aren't really inclined to sell with Ferrari. It seems like, like we know some bigger Ferrari shareholders and they get invited to events and with Hermes, I mean, a lot of it's family ownership. So it's just, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, people feel like they're a part of the club as a shareholder. So, and I don't think you get that sense with LVMH, but yeah, I would say LVMH. Well, you get the A, the free, the free, there's like a free liquor thing, right? If you're an LVMH shareholder, do you remember seeing that thing? That's yeah, nice. I think you get like a magazine subscription too, or something like that with LVMH. The, I would say LVMH is probably highest for me as well. What about Ferrari versus Hermes? Five years? Yeah. That's a tough one. I think. I'd imagine there's some Hermes, Hermes. some customer overlap there. Well, it's the, it's the dudes and women and men. It's so like, you know what I mean? Some marriages potentially. Yeah. hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Remember special one next week, AMA show or ask us anything show. Uh, also that's going to be the next power hour. That'll come out in two days. After we record, after uh, this gets released, let's hit the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I may hold securities discussed in this podcast. We may have owned them in the past, and we may buy, sell, or hold them in the future. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. 